0: Is the bloody disgusting
1: podcast network? You're fond of me, lobster, ain't you? Drunken enough, the ginny fan. I seen it. You're fond of me, lobster. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio.
2: Hey, this is Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren and Leo, welcome to episode 225. This time around, you are joined by Kyle Starchild Fisher drummer of juno award-winning rock band the dirty nil he is hanging out to talk about his love of all things horror and sci-fi and it goes deep true crime terrifying stories from the road and a time of release the band's new album fuck art episode 225 with
3: kyle fisher starts now this is kyle fisher of the dirty nil and you're rocking out to another terrifying episode of the boo crew
1: Scream, that's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy.
2: Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy studio is one of the founding members and drummer From the loudest and most melodic band in rock today Forming in Canada in 2006 They released several EPs Before their full-length debut Higher Power in 2016 Won them the Juno Award for Breakthrough Group Their sophomore album Master Volume Went straight to the Billboard charts And earned a ton of critical acclaim and tours and live gigs With The Who, Against Me, Alexis on Fire And tons more Their third album Fuck Art just came out And it is incredible It is total ear candy With saccharine drenched hooks it sound like you drank them in your soda through a red vine at a Slayer concert, but you are down in your friend's basement and it's 1971. I mean, this thing is a refreshing supercharged punch in the face. We are honored to welcome Kyle, Starchild Fisher of the one and only Dirty Nil. Yay!
3: Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here.
2: Dude, man, thank you so much for joining yes. us and congrats yeah. on this album. First of all, what has the experience been like? of releasing a body of work during these crazy times. And what are some of the creative ways? Cause I know there are that you've been able to let the listener become part of this experience in other more intimate ways outside of a traditional concert.
3: It's been fun. It's been interesting. As you said, it's been a lot of brainstorming for creative ways of getting people involved. Um, we utilized cameo as a promotional tool. That was probably like the biggest, most exciting thing that we did. And we had people like Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray and uh, Cisco uh, kind of uh, our manager had, you know, got them a cameo to to listen to our song and review it. Yeah. So That's we released nice. that for a while. They watched the music video and uh, and they would re- review it. Like David Hasselhoff was one of them as well. <laughs> and you could it's kind of funny because you could tell who actually watched it. <laughs> right. And who... who was just kind of like bullshitting you. Uh, Mark McGrath watched, like reacted a reaction video to it, which is really nice. And he, and he was super into it. So that was, I think one of the most interesting and unique things that we did during this whole cycle. And then uh, putting it out on New Year's was a lot of, a lot of fun as well. But I was in a, I was at like a cabin in the woods, kind of away from it, with my girlfriend, but um, it was a really fun thing. That's awesome. Can it, we
4: just talk about Cameo, like sure. what it is? Because I feel like there are a lot of people that still don't know what Cameo is. Like, I'll mention it to someone and they'll be like, what? But do you want to explain it?
3: Sure. It's a, it's a, like an app or service, I guess. And you can buy time from celebrities to record a message for somebody, is, is what its main purpose is for. So we took it and, and used it for our own promotional purposes. Right. It's yeah. like you can it's like a cheap ad essentially. Yeah. I'm yeah. wondering
2: if cameo's ever going to like clue into that cuz I've seen more and more people doing it, right? Like I've seen right. auction houses doing it, yeah. paying oh, people really? to endorse their product and I'm, you know, it's it is like a really cheap and effective way of getting like celebrities <laughs> to swill your stuff. Yeah. I love it actually. And I there's a see. new one where people will sing. There's like oh, a cameo yeah. but it's people who sing for you. Like, Maya was doing one, and who, uh, what's that band? Not, was it Cobra Starship? Was that who it was? It was, Or like, 303? Yes, it was it's 303. 303. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the, uh, the dude from the Bare Naked Ladies was doing him from his pinball room. That's awesome. Oh, Stephen Page? Yeah, 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 yeah. So he was doing from his pinball room, and he'd, like, he'd yeah. just, like, sing, like that million dollar song but sub in your name or whatever and like sing it for a couple of seconds yeah i forget what it's called but yeah it just started up so
3: Another great one. i can't remember what it's called but that's awesome that's
2: <laughs> so you also did like leading up to this you did the dancing to thrash tour back in yeah. october for a few months and what was that experience like
3: it was good it's a little more it's funny because um doing a bunch of sh- shows in the same room kind of over and over again it really amplifies the groundhog day experience <laughs> yeah, of your work. right and uh, <laughs> right. so it was a little it was a little more intense on your mind because it just really felt like like did we just do this and uh for me anyway sometimes it's just like not stimulating enough and my brain would just kind of zone out and yeah I'd just be like, what are we doing but uh people really like that not many people had tried to do like a numerous show live stream. A lot of people want and done. Yeah. And uh, having done more than one, I can see why, <laughs> but uh, it worked out really well and people really enjoyed it. Um, it was a good way. You know, we got some radio stations involved and we were able to raise some money for venues through it. Cause we would pair each city with a local venue, pretend as if we were having the show at the venue and then, uh, promote it at that radio station locally. Uh, it was funny because some people would actually think that we were in the city. Right. And would message us like, hey, you guys need a place to sleep. I was like, why would we be here? You can't cross the border. There's a pandemic going on. Thank you. Why would we stay on your couch, though? Like, so like all these things okay we're not Someone was like if you guys are in town i'd love to like take some some shots of you guys if you need press shots it's like we're not yeah
0: yeah oh my gosh. Oh, that's probably texas or florida i'm sure <laughs> yeah right yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
2: and then the elvis 77 video that just came out is also a great example of getting getting the listeners involved yeah. as well yeah i
3: forgot that that was out today there's so much happening yeah. uh that was going cool. that was really well that was luke's idea and um People send in some crazy submissions that I wasn't expecting. Like, uh, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to watch the whole thing, but yeah. there's like uh, the snowmobile guys that kind of like pull a dude on a sled behind and he smashes into another dude on a table. Like, yes. A really weird, scary <laughs> right. bunny dude. Yeah. Like, That's cheap. A- at the beginning.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. people like jumping on tables with fire on it, like, uh, like almost like yeah. a video of jackass or something.
3: We're talking about uh, calling it the jumping off the roof video. Right. <laughs> a lot of people jumping around, a lot of people playing guitars, singing along, smashing guitars, punching each other in the face, eating weird, gross sandwiches.
2: We're going to get to more music stuff in a bit. And of course, this new album, but let's get nerdy with some horror movie stuff. So you are a fan of horror and sci-fi?
3: Yeah, lots of that. I always started on sci-fi and then horror. I mean, but you can't have one without the other, I don't think. I'm wearing a Get Out shirt. Oh, very cool. I
2: love it. What is like the earliest moment you remember being impacted by a horror film in particular?
3: Uh, It was actually Ghostbusters. Yeah. When I was really, 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 really young. I think I would have been three or four. And I was convinced in the the first house that I lived in with my parents that the boogeyman lived in the basement. And it was the, the, the start of the movie. My dad was like, we'll watch Ghostbusters. It's hilarious. <laughs> but I'm like three. And he had to go upstairs for some reason in the very beginning when oh, they're man. talking. They like go to the librarian. Yeah. And, he oh, in no. that
0: yeah.
3: yeah. and I was scared shitless and ran all the way upstairs. And there was um, like the baby doors. We're at the top of the stairs, like the blocker, so they can't fall down the stairs. Cause my brother would have been one or two crawling around. And that was just there, and I couldn't get out of the basement. I was like screaming, shaking. <laughs> oh my the gosh, door.
4: that's so scary. So oh no. <laughs> I didn't watch
3: Ghostbusters until I was 13 because I was so <laughs> terrified of it in that moment. So that was my earliest <laughs> earliest encounter with that. But uh I got over that.
2: that yeah, I had the same experience with that movie. Oh, it's super funny. Yeah, don't worry. In the first scene. It's like it tricks you as a kid, man, because you see Bill Murray yeah. and Dan Aykroyd, all these like funny guys from Saturday Night Live or whatever at the time. Yeah. And then you see this fucking librarian turn around with that skull yeah. face and it and the fucking Zool and all the shit and the demon dogs. And it got real, real fucking quick, man.
3: Oh, yeah. It, it's not fucking around. No. And then it, then it really eases up for like a while. But even the Zool. Right. Azul stuff like oh god scared of microwaves for a little bit right
2: yeah I remember (laughs) my dad took me to that movie even um, Dragnet you remember they redid Dragnet it was Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd and they were the the guys from Dragnet and there was an element of devil worshipping in that movie and like they were busting like an underground devil worshipping ring and I was so scared seeing it in the theater that I had to leave I told my dad we had to leave there was nothing scarier than the devil when you're like, you know, 10.
3: <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. The other one for me was if I watched like, okay, I saw like Armageddon and then I would think like if I looked out the window and saw like, let's say like a satellite or a plane at night in the sky, I was like, that's meteor. And we're all going to die. <laughs> but Mars attacks another funny movie that scene where the aliens, like the dove comes and then they blow up the dove. Yeah. And uh, Jack Black, I think, gets disintegrated first. Like, that was it for me. Or whatever happened, they all just start getting disintegrated. And I just, like, booked it out of my parents' living room and just, like, (laughs) get out in the basement. So I've never seen the rest of that movie. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
3: What were the horror movies that you started, like,
2: gravitating towards eventually and the ones that you could sit through? And once you started really liking them?
3: I guess my... So one of my best friends growing up was really into horror movies. And, like... He was obsessed with halloween and stuff from a very young age so i w- ended up watching those with him and like the evil dead movies so those were kind of my my in- entrance ways that i that i really gravitated towards and that kind of just opened it up for me i don't know why those uh halloween especially was like easier for me sure i think something about isolated incidents with, like, a murderer in my mind. I was like, that's really distanced to me. Yeah. But, like, anyone can get attacked by an alien. <laughs> <laughs> or like, oh, not, as a kid, it was way more terrifying to me than, like, a real person. Yeah, I don't know. Evil Dead it was just funny to me.
2: Which one did I'm you like, like better? One. Evil Dead 1, 2, or Army of Darkness?
3: Army of Darkness, I think, is my favorite. Partly because the poster has just, like, that great image of Ashwick with the shotgun and yeah. the chainsaw. And I think it has... I think it just that's where he hits his stride with the balancing the like campiness comedy of it and and the horror elements. Mm. That pit scene is the best with all the blood gushing out of the It's amazing.
0: Yeah, upon discovering these movies such as Halloween and, and you know and such what about it was it that you started to discover like the directors, the, the filmmakers, the guy who made these movies and then the rest of their catalog.
3: That's a good question. That probably wouldn't have come later. Like, especially with people like John Carpenter, Sam Raimi was an easy grab because of the Spider-Man movies. Like I would have been 13 or even younger when those came out and I was like, Oh, Sam Raimi. And I could like connect like Bruce Campbell's in those. And you can, can kind of start connecting the dots. And I've always kind of been a really intense film nerd person where after every movie, like I'm on the IMD page reading about it, like looking for connections here or what, re- what movie references this other movie uh, hopping around that way. So probably like in my, say between 14 and 16 is when I really started to to dive into those connections. And like even John Carpenter with music is such a great attachment into, you know, playing in a band. Not that his music necessarily inspires, but knowing that he does all the soundtrack work and directing it, like I just can get really, I can go down that hole.
2: Would you say that's probably the one of the first times you noticed the music of those films, sci-fi or horror? Was it through Carpenter?
3: Yeah, I guess probably because the Halloween theme is so like you just know it yeah like you know what it attached to it's very prominent it's you don't confuse it for anything else if you know what it is
0: since you mentioned uh sam Raimi, i was curious if you've been watching or you're a fan of the marvel universe been watching the uh, wandavision at all
3: i have been yeah
0: it, it's wrapping up here uh, but mm-hmm. it's going to tie into sam Raimi's dr strange uh what is it the multiverse of the multiverse madness or whatever it's called or?
3: yeah that one yeah it's supposed it, to be horror right Oh, see, I didn't know that. I haven't I haven't yeah. read too much into it yet, but um, I'm excited to see what he does with it to take on like another Marvel property, but within their umbrella, because I find they have a way of kind of flattening out certain directors' nuances, except for Taika Waititi. They let him, I feel like they let him just do his thing. <laughs> right. So I, I hope they let Sam Raimi do his thing too.
4: Do you have like a top three of horror movies that are kind of like your comfort movies that you love to watch over and over again?
3: That's a good question. I like to watch Alien a lot. That one's a classic. Both the first two. But I'm trying to think if I have another comfort one. But that I didn't have that. But I remember like whenever I'm feeling sick, I, I tend to want to watch horror movies. It was the thing I did when I got my wisdom teeth pulled. I remember I watched High Tension and I watched the host because oh, I, yeah. like, I just want to feel people it, see people in worst pain, all <laughs> <laughs> like on painkillers, like. Ugh. Oh, yeah. And I'd never seen high tension before, and I think it was like when Netflix was like really becoming common it's and so around everywhere. And I remember it was on early Netflix, and I was like, "This is supposed to be a good movie," and I didn't realize how like gory and and fucked up it was going to be. I don't know if you've seen yeah. that that one,
4: but yeah, it's so good. Yes. What are some yeah.
2: other
3: more recent ones that you've been discovering? Uh, when I knew I was coming on this, I was like, I should catch up. And I watched, uh, I watched the rental uh, Oh yes. uh, Franco one, which yes. some people I thought he didn't like, but I thought it was cool. I thought he did a really good job for like his first feature and kind of setting it up. It made me wonder how just, have you guys seen it? Yes. How he's going to use, I thought he might like use that footage to set it up and like leave it behind and edit it. Like for the police to make up their own story to like, <laughs> wash his hands clean. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Time. Yeah. But they never show that. They just show him move on to the next thing, right? So I was like, I wonder if that's like another deeper story that they don't tell.
2: I thought it was a really inventive way of taking a spin on something that's going on and making a franchise out of it. I love that, man. He did a fantastic job. Yeah, it was super Yeah, super yeah it was
3: great, especially cuz you don't know you kind of really want that dude to be the killer, but you're not sure. You know, like, cuz he connected to this other guy and it, it really plays, it really takes that all the way to the to the very last minute. When was the first time you saw It Follows? I saw it in theaters. I loved it. I thought it was great. And that's another thing that ties back. Like, it did have that, like, John Carpenter element, like, especially, particularly with whoever did the soundtrack. Mm. It made me think of, like, kind of how he probably approaches his sounds. It was a good callback to that era of war movies because there's so many. Jump scare ones has been like a lot of like paranormal activity and like big franchises that get caught trying to do a very similar thing. So it was nice to see an independent horror movie stand out that way. Yeah. I've probably seen it like four or five times.
2: Yeah. We love that one, man. I remember when we first saw it in the theater. Yeah. They're from right when it starts that score that kicks in and it's a guy named disaster piece who did it and he, mm-hmm. they found him like he was a scoring of video games. This is his first film that he did. And God, yeah, it's just one of those themes that can stick in your head like that just that old style of using these old modular synthesizers and analog equipment to make like a whole sonic world and a, a stamp on the movie. I remember after when the credits rolled, we just sat there in the theater. We were like the last ones there just kind of looking at each other like, oh, my God, this guy nailed this movie. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, you
4: know? I'm scared of like old homes now
3: <laughs> so, <really. laughs> oh yeah and that that one though on and, yeah, yeah. and that's such a good <laughs> yeah. that's like also just feels like a big callback to halloween because michael myers is always walking right yes and they're always walking no one's ever in a rush and it doesn't matter how slow they're going you can never escape them and that is what's more terrifying about it it's like they're in no hurry and you're like panicking and no matter what they're just like right breathing down your neck. Yeah, that yeah, experience,
2: seeing that yeah. in the theater was like what I would imagine getting a chance to see like the original Halloween when it came out. And what about films like The Witch and and the films of Ari Aster and Midsommar and stuff like that and, and this kind of recent, almost like folk horror boom that we're seeing?
3: Yeah, it's been great. I'm really excited for The Northman. I'm glad that they got to get that going. Uh, Robert Eggers' new one. But uh, it's been great. That was, that was just stuff like I was always hearing people talk about it. And just having Netflix and time between two. And be like, all right, I'm, I'm going to watch these. I'll catch up with it. And I just thought, uh, I thought they were really great. The funny thing about Ari Aster is that I saw, I saw hereditary in theaters with friends. And it's definitely one of those movies that's a gamble in theaters. I find horror movies are can be that way. So there was a lot of chattier, younger kids no, behind no. us. We right. just weren't into it. And it really pulled me out of it. But I also found that the back half of that movie not... As enjoyable as the first front half of the movie, something about once it like got into the more witchy territory, it lost me. Okay, so, felt cheesy, and that I just like the, the the teenage son actor like pulled me out of it for some reason. But also these people talking behind me, yeah. I hate to do again. <laughs> but Midsummer I've watched so many times, and I think that was a stronger effort from Ari Aster for sure visually. Uh, with it being all in the daytime and a very accurate portrayal of mushrooms in a movie. Probably one of the most accurate drug portrayals I think I've ever seen. <laughs> <in the movie. laughs> Leo, you had a question about Midsommar.
0: Yeah, upon watching Midsommar, did you catch all the really cool stuff in the background? Like from the opening scene, the sister with the mask and all that? Did you catch that mountainside that was her face, basically? Did you catch that kind of stuff?
3: Oh, I don't know if I saw that one. No that like visual no i didn't but oh, there's it's a lot huge of,
0: yeah i don't think it's i saw that either mountain. it's at the beginning of the movie yeah it's like remember how she committed suicide yeah yeah With so it's Dude. basically her image in the side of like this huge like shrubbery of trees on the mountainside it's like you see it wow okay yeah it's one of those things where you're watching the movie you're like oh this is background why should i be watching trees in the background right and you watch it again, you're like, what's that? I have to
3: watch out for that next time. I know there's a lot. I found that thing with that movie is that it does a lot to kind of set you up for what's coming if you're paying attention. Right. But uh, he does such a good job of kind of like bringing you into the days kind of feeling that the characters are all in. Because it feels like they're always right. the, being constant daylight fucks them up and kind of fucks you up. And then they're just taking drugs the whole time or kind of tipsy. And you're just like right there with them. A little, and it's unsettling. I found that movie came in, it like punches you in the chest extremely hard right off the top. And it just like keeps applying pressure for the rest of the movie and just not let up. It just like keeps, it just sinks you.
2: Yeah. That's a that's yeah. beautifully said, man. That's exactly <laughs> that's what it does. Way, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in what ways have you found, if any, has your love of film and steeped in science fiction and horror come out in your music in any way?
3: I guess it comes out like more in the making the videos side of it and sure. And coming up with like visuals, I was just trying to maybe not necessarily reference them, but like seeing how things are made and, and how you can apply things like story and, and visuals into, yeah, into our own visuals, or our own brand and, and how that fits. It kind of dri-
2: dipped into midsummer territory, 1960s era midsummer in uh, Blunt yeah. Force Concussion a little bit, yeah. and
3: you know, Blunt you- Force was the biggest example. of That and that was exactly what we were going for. And, yeah. and uh, my girlfriend, she she does flowers, so she made those flower crowns for uh, us. That's awesome. Uh, and that was and nice. she she'd only she'd never seen the movie before. We were talking about doing that. Now it's like one of her favorite movies. But yeah, so we 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 nailed that. That's probably the biggest tour reference. We will a while ago. We were going to do this like mad scientist video, but then never came around. It never came to be pain of infinity
2: kind of got you guys at least to uh, dress in Reaper outfits, which is, which is pretty close.
3: Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: that was so fun. Would you have uh, any sort of dream director collab that would be fun to do a video with?
3: Just because David Fincher has a history in music video making, that yeah. would be pretty fun to do with him. Jay Baruchel might be fun too. Oh yeah. I never saw his random acts of violence though, but uh, so way great. so Black, great, man did the music for that.
2: Yeah, that's right. Is that also a territory that you guys would, uh, would consider doing maybe getting into scoring something?
3: I mean, maybe I would something I thought about because I've always wanted to make something, like make a short or something. I, uh because i went to kind of went to school in that world a little bit like not filmmaking specifically but it was like multimedia so i made stuff like that in the past but it's funny because luke and i were talking about it today because he's messing around with pedals because he's he's bored and just trying stuff out and he was just like felt like he was making some soundtracky stuff like a big man and a bunch of fuzz pedals just making this loud sludgy kind of sun like music
2: Son, was that the people who worked on uh, The Devil's Candy?
4: I think so. I
2: think it was yeah. Son who did the score for The Devil's Candy. Yeah. Did you ever see The Devil's Candy?
3: No, what's that one? Oh, it's
4: it's so good.
2: Ethan Embry movie where he plays yeah. a father. Him and his wife have this daughter and they move into a house that's haunted. They think is haunted by the devil. The devil's after his daughter. And the music is outstanding. And it's very demonic and he's an artist and he gets, he kind of gets possessed. So he's painting demons and things like that. And it's all about this music that he's constantly hearing in his head from the devil. Okay. And I, I'm pretty sure it's all done by son. It's fantastic. One of the, one of the best horror films to come out. Oh, and, candy. And you to the that. Candy. I've
3: got that one on the list. And then I guess the nest, the
4: nest. I've uh, yeah, I've heard of it. We just haven't seen it yet it's on the list you okay. know i made that
3: yeah list.
2: yeah you got that ongoing list yeah oh that's awesome
3: he's you only made one movie before which was martha marcy may marlene which i don't know if you guys have seen that one no. but that one's great i have more to add to the list the boo crew will be right back <laughs> Ghostbuster Dan Aykroyd here with an important message for
1: all. Got termites? Call an exterminator. Got ghosts? Call Ghostbusters. From teeny paranormal pixies to gargantuan apparitions, we'll get that ghost to take a hike. We use only the very latest in subatomic neutron
2: operated by highly trained professionals who are prompt, fast, and courteous. Safe even for small children and pets. We own and operate our own Ectomobile on call 24 hours a day, including holidays. And if you call right now, we'll
1: include in our basic home service a free poltergeist inspection of your car, truck, camper, or off-road vehicle. But wait. That's not all. We'll also include our leatherette-bound pamphlet of do-it-yourself exorcisms, as well as a lovely full-color
2: Ghostbusters inspection certificate suitable for framing. But there's more. You'll also receive a souvenir sample of your spirit's ectoplasmic residue encased in genuine polypropylene. Come and watch us work in Ghostbusters, the supernatural comedy at movie theaters everywhere. Rated PG, parental guidance suggested. If we don't get the ghost,
1: you don't get the bill. Ghostbusters, they're here to save the world. Who you gonna call
2: You guys are on the road do you do a lot of movie watching or podcast
3: listening or anything like that that becomes we do, something that y'all do we do a lot of podcast listening in the van uh, a lot of true crime there's one that we listen to called case file okay that's like a pretty right. popular one i don't know if you guys are familiar with that one i think it's the best true crime podcast actually because the guy the guy's voice is the best he's australian but he just keeps it very detailed gets you really into the story and yeah. he's just like super monotone and treats it with like a seriousness that I enjoy, uh, and he tells a lot of like really interesting and unique, you know, true crime events that you just would never know about because he stays away. He tries to stay away from the bigger ones that everyone knows. Like there was once in Canada that I hadn't heard about before, like near where we live, which are wild. Like one guy who was trying to who was influenced by Dexter <sighs> might have been near Calgary or Edmonton or something.
2: Like he was like a legit copycat, like getting inspired from the crimes of Dexter.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think so. Like at least with like the, he made like a, like a kill room kind of thing, but he catfished a guy to come down and, and go on a date and then he just like killed him in his garage.
2: Oh my God.
3: And then we just watch movies. We kind of, I don't know. We I find that being on tour is a good time to watch bad movies in the, in the theater. Sure. Unless it's something like we are, like we have to see this movie, but it's usually the best time to see bad movies. Cause you don't, you don't really want to take in something. Yeah. They have. We just want to enjoy something. Yeah. So I remember we saw, we saw it comes at night on tour. Okay. <laughs> and I just was like, oh, I remember being like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have seen that.
0: <laughs> we all
3: left the theater, like super bummed out. Cause that's one of the bleakest movies I think I've ever seen.
0: Yeah. I was wondering, aside from that uh, Derek, I'm sorry, the Dexter inspired case. Are there any other uh, cases that you're fascinated by?
3: Yeah. There's one, there was one in Albuquerque and I can't remember near truth and consequences Albuquerque, but I can't, it's a really, really small town, but it's called the toy box murders. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with that one. It's about, it was another guy who like had, he just had like a container, like a shipping container in the small town near his house that he made basically made like a torture chamber and he got, he was like, would kidnap like transient people. And you know like street sex workers and just take them there and he did it for a long time
4: okay i realize like i ask a lot of women this but i've never asked a man this but do you watch bailey sarian do you know who bailey sarian is no i don't she puts on makeup and tells true crime stories but it's really cool to watch because She puts together the stories so well, like she writes them and produces this whole thing and does this crazy makeup on herself. And I guess that maybe it appeals maybe more to people that are putting on makeup and like true crime. But I think it's for everyone and you should check it out.
2: Yeah, it's pretty good, man. I I, like, yeah, Leo and I started listening, (laughs) started watching him too. Yeah, this is the way she tells the story. I mean, she's actually like physically doing stuff, right? While she's telling the story, which is an interesting approach, but yeah, really, really good.
3: So she's telling the story and putting it on at the same time? Yeah, Yeah. while she's doing her makeup.
2: Like she's like, it's almost like she's looking in a mirror and like telling you about Jeffrey Dahmer or whatever, you know, uh, Robert Pickton or whoever else, you know, (laughs) while she's doing her makeup. This is an interesting amalgamation yeah the way that 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 whole true crime boom is taking off is is just yeah. insane man
3: i feel like netflix can like slow the brakes a bit right just, <laughs> like every time i open it they're like advertising a new true crime series and you're like wait this kind of looks like the last one <laughs> but uh oh no ne- uh, another one that was that one did you guys watch the one about the guy who made a that bulldozer what was it called? It no. was like in Colorado or something. He made a bulldozer? Yeah. He was like, it was just like one of those stories, like, guy in a small town, I think in Colorado, started just feeling like people in the town were working against him. And he just, he just like ended up buying this like small private thing and, and converted a tractor into a full on like armored vehicle and just rampaged the town, attacking everyone he thought had done him wrong. did he end up taking anybody out uh i don't remember he might have killed two people and then himself but it was nuts like it's the thing that he built is is insane and i am upset that i can't remember the title of it like did he name the thing that he that he built no no i don't think he named it
4: what, he, like might, the I mean, he might
2: have machine, the yeah, that kill dozer or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what that—that's what it got called.
3: Yeah, it—the it, kill dozer. Yeah, it was massive, and like wow. he just like he built it all himself. Wow, he was, like a really, really, really talented welder and like metal worker. He that's just, crazy. And, like, built this thing on the sides, like poured concrete down, just like fortified this machine, and then. Wreaked havoc on on the town that he lived
2: in. Isn't it amazing that someone could be smart enough, yeah, and and be thoughtful enough to do all that, but be so batshit crazy enough? It's like
3: I don't know. You just lose that grasp of reality. And wow, it goes the other way for you, right?
2: There's a case that happened yeah. here. We're we're out in Burbank in in the LA area, and there's a motel like just down the street from where we live. And um, I think it was back in the seventies they caught these two guys who would drive up this van. They had this van and they would take this van up into the hills and, you know, hitchhikers or whoever transients and put them in the van. And the van was built as a traveling torture device. And they actually named it. They called it the murder Mac and they would audio record all the stuff they would do. And to this day, they still use the audio recordings to desensitize FBI agents in training by playing them the audio recordings because they, they played them in court and people were just walking out. They couldn't take it anymore. But yeah, both those guys ended up dying. There's these two guys. They called themselves. I think they were the toolbox. The toolbox murderers is what they were referred to as. But yeah, they named the van, the murder Mac. Any creepy stories from the road for you guys personally?
3: I'm trying to think there's like, we've been pretty fortunate. I remember on a really, really early tour. Um, Cause you don't know people that offer to let you stay with them. And uh, I think we were, we were in Washington somewhere and this guy was, he sold us. Cause he's like, come to my house. I live at my aunt's place, but she's got like a llama and some goats. And we're like, we'll see some animals.
4: <laughs> That's so cute. Yeah. I would
3: totally so we go. went and then he just started rambling. Like it was late and we were tired and just trying to go to bed. And he was rambling. You know, when people are just telling you, more information than they should about yeah. themselves. Yeah. Where it just like, he was talking about this band he was in and people didn't like it. Cause he's saying too much about, about certain things. Uh, and he, I'm not going to say what he said. He just kind of like crossed like a line of information. It's like, Oh, we don't need to know that. Yeah. And it was kind of like, Oh, we were all uncomfortable. And then he was like, yeah. And he's like, anyways, I have insomnia. So like, don't mind me. I'm just gonna be like walking around the house. Oh my God. Like, oh, cool. <laughs> so we're all like trying to sleep. While this guy's pretty much <laughs> on a computer. Across from the couch that we're on, just like doing whatever, and we're just like, oh, "Fuck!" But the llamas were sick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I would have slept with. Oh the my llamas. god!
2: What possessed <laughs> you? Like, was it was it so uncomfortable oh, that you guys couldn't even leave? Like, you're like, "Oh fuck, we're
3: stuck here, dude." I mean, we were there now at this point. Like, we yeah. were all t- you know, you're tucked in, and yeah, it wasn't like I didn't think it was like dangerous or anything. It was just yeah. it was like a weird, it just like went to a weird place, and then yeah. we're like, "All right." See you. Dude. And then one time I, we, we were just at a sketchy hotel in Dallas for sure. Mm-hmm. Cause we showed up and checked in, we could only get a smoking room. And then we went around the back. There was a lot of commotion and noise. And then like the cops pulled up and we're just like, Hey, have you seen this car? And we were like, no. And then they pulled away. And then we went inside. There's some guys inside. They were like, the cops still here? And we we're like, no. And like okay, cool. There's definitely, guys. There are definitely guys dealing drugs down the hall from us all night, super loud, and like shouting in the parking lot. And we and we just were like, oh, tonight's the night. We die. <laughs> oh my. God. Yeah, like guns are gonna come out, and we're all gonna we're gonna get caught in the hail, the hailstorm. You know.
4: Oh my god. Yeah, it's, it.
3: it's gonna be it for us. And then in the morning, there was like a trail of ants down the entire length of the hallway. Yeah, it was gross. It was one of the grossest things I've ever seen. And then one time we 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 did hear someone get shot outside of outside of the apartment we were staying in in Hamburg, Germany. Wow. it was like right after the Bataclan thing happened and we were all kind of stoned. It was like cuz we were out and we are all like hi and then we heard like, like two gunshots and we were like what the fuck? And then it just like a drug deal had gone bad cuz we were there's like the Reberbahn in Hamburg. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Germany or, or mm-hmm. Hamburg at all. The Reeperbahn is like where the red light district is, but it's also where all the rock clubs are. Okay. It's really fun. Like it's a really good part of town, but in the back alleys or things can get sketchy. Like we've been followed a couple of times, which is, which is hard. And there's, there's a very aggressive sex workers like uh, on the street. Cause they have a private in Hamburg. There's like a private women's owned section. Where like one woman bought all the property to have like safe, safe place for the sex workers. Got it. But then all the girls who don't work in there work on the street outside. And they're very noticeable because they all wear Uggs and very big puffy parkas. What? that's like the
2: signature <laughs> that's look. The calling card? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. Wow. So, so Luke's girlfriend's actually German. She thinks it's funny because uh <laughs> all the all the girls who think they're hot here dress like the sex workers and Germany. Oh wow. <laughs> so, they will come up to you and like grab you and hold on to you and be like, come with me. And you're like, no, I'm good. And they're like squeezing you. Oh my God. And they, they don't care. They'll oh. rob you.
2: Holy shit. Wow. <laughs> That's insane. I love it. You just this kinda so like
3: time. keep your head up. But it's a fun place to be with. <laughs>
4: oh, That's
0: sounds good. like hostile for real, right? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say the opening scene wow. of hostel Yeah, exactly. I love it, though. Germany,
3: that's, Hamburg's one of my favorite cities.
2: Oh, my God. That's amazing. All right. Well, let's go into this new album a little bit, because it's incredible. Thank you. Can we talk about how insane Luke's voice is for a sec? I mean, anyone who hasn't heard Dirty Nil," listen to the first few seconds of Doom Boy, the track that kicks it all off, and it's it's like a can of Pringles. You cannot stop. The range on him, first of all, is out of control, right? The notes that he's able to hit effortlessly on a track like yeah, Doom Boy or You're Done With Drugs, for instance. He like outsings guys like Todd Kearns and Jellyfish's Andy Sturmer. His songwriting is also really unconventional and pulls in all these different influences and it creates something really unique. How does what he brings in challenge you?
3: or excite you as a drummer? Oh, that's, that's a great question. Cause I've been, so Luke and I've been making music together since we were 16, but, um, and he didn't want to be the singer when we first started a band, but we also didn't know anybody. I was like, you just have to sing. I was like, you can do it. (laughs) Oh my God. And, And yeah, he never took lessons or anything. He just like really worked on it in the basement and, uh, he's become, uh, the excellent singer that he is now and I wouldn't want to support anyone else, but it's kind of, it's always been fun because we started as a two piece band. So when we're working on music, I've kind of always just l- listened to the guitar when he brings me things that I don't know. There's, there's just like an instantaneous feeling, like an electric, like electricity of like, Oh, and I, my body just kind of reacts to the song writing that he brings in. And usually like we'll we'll start. Sometimes he has more of a song fleshed out, sometimes just like a riff. And we'll just play and play and play. And we kind of just base it off feeling and then get to a place where it's comfortable. We'll talk about what goes next. But it's just like if Luke brings in the part or a riff, that that's just like the exciting part. And if we can all just play on it for a while without thinking, that's pretty much the goal. Yeah. And then we can get into the nitty-gritty of it. But yeah, Luke just brings, like, Doom Boy, for example, was was kind of a different song before, except for the chorus. And the chorus was the bridge of a different song. And he changed the riff around a little bit because we were abandoning that song. But I was like, but you have to repurpose that part. And then it found its way there. And then we were able to base the whole song around, around that chorus.
0: Yeah, your music, uh, specifically the guitars and drums, are rooted in the 90s sound of rock. I think of bands like Weezer and many other like nineties punk or all bands. What are some of the bands or albums that inspired you and in the band?
3: Well, definitely some of those ones for sure. Like Pinkerton and Blue Album we were big when we were kids. We also <laughs> were big Who fans like live at Leeds. And I would obsessively watch videos like Led Zeppelin live at Royal Albert Hall or the Who live at the Isle of Wight. Uh, that's where I got a lot of uh, excitement for the drums And Iggy Pop and the Stooges, uh, The Doors, Green Day's American Idiot came out when we were sixteen, so that was kind of very like whoa. Or wait, what year did that come out? Is that two thousand three? Around that, yeah, yeah. I think it was yeah, early two thousands, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we never mind. We were like thirteen when that came out, so I was like, oh, cool. And that because we knew Green Day, but it hadn't like that was the thing that like just really, really, really sent them. I feel for us. So things like that when we were younger and now there's tons of different things that we're into. I find I like a lot of noisier stuff uh, as I've, as I've gotten older. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Canadian band Mets at all. They're a very loud, grungy kind of style band or idols. um, Shame, both bands from the UK. Those are kind of like newer, newer influences.
2: What about in terms of, production I mean on this these past two albums you've kind of perfected this massive expansive sound but it's also like super clean and punchy. And what can that be attributed to and what's the work like that goes into
3: that part of the experience? I think we just like built a really good working relationship with John Gibmonson who produced the record. So his his history is like um, the Blood Brothers and Sleater Kinney bands like that. He also worked on a lot of like new metal records in the nineties and, and things like that. He also worked on iron. He mixed iron flag by the Wu-Tang clan, which is wow. Which is a really, really funny story. If you can, yeah. <laughs> when you get him to talk about it. And he worked with death Cap for cutie.
4: Oh yes. A lot. So he's got fun. like her Cat
3: favorite fun. band. Well, yeah, that's a, wow. That runs the gamut. Yeah. He's got a range and he's, he's just like the yeah. best. And he's such an easygoing, relaxed guy. So, working with John is like a very relaxed environment, and he kind of really only records things that he thinks sound good. And but he's very easygoing about it. So, that just allowed us to focus and be at ease and just really give the best performances that we could. And, uh, As much as we like the first record, we weren't happy with how it turned out because it is a bit of a it's 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 very muddy and messy and and loud and abrasive, which is all are all great things, but we just knew we could have done it better. So I like the both these records are always us being like that was good, but we need to do it better, and it does not necessarily like a cleaner way, but we just want you know the songs to be tighter, the guitars like all the instruments to be prominent and loud, and you know you can actually hear the music.
2: What would you say are the secret ingredients of what makes the Dirty Nil, the Dirty Nil in terms of working with a producer like, like John, like if he was to sit with you and tries to highlight the strengths of you guys, what are the benchmarks that built the Dirty Nil? What are the most powerful and loudest parts of what you do?
3: Cause it's always like, we always have big, big choruses, big choruses, loud guitars, and just banging pumping drums that just make you bounce and want to dance those are kind of like the three the three main things yeah and just keeping the melody prominent especially now like we've really honed in on how to do that luke and his songwriting like he's always been very melodic but just becomes sharper every time i find and john's really good at and helping us try to build to that moment. We do a lot of the work on the music before getting to the studio anyway, like countless and countless hours. We're not really one of those bands that gets into a studio and fucks around and, and tries to figure it out that way, like the Rolling Stones or something. Yeah, The songs are pretty much done by the time we're there. And our pre-production with John would be like, we get in a room, we'll, he'll be like, okay, let's play this song. Then we'll play the song, he'll record it, we'll listen back. And we'll either be like, this needs to change a bit or be like, cool, that one's good. Next song. And then we'll go record, record it for real. So uh, Elvis 77 on the record, for example, we had like the main core of the song and it was very short. It was like probably a minute and a half. And then Luke was like, um, I was like, you should maybe add a little guitar solo or Ross might've said that. And then, so Luke added that slide part after the first chorus, and then we needed a different outro and then we built that outro in the pre-production uh, that we ended up doing at the end of the song. Cause John was like, you guys can just keep repeating that. It doesn't matter. So we're like, okay. And that helped loosen us up. Um, same with, uh, with bike for that solo section. He was like, let's just go on this. Cause Luke hadn't figured it out what he was going to play it. And, and John was like, play it this many times. And if, if you want it shorter, we can make it shorter. If you want it longer, we can make it longer, whatever feels right. So we experimented a little more with those things for the making of fuck art.
2: Now ride or die is a fantastic showcase of the drums on the album and falling into multiple different grooves and cool transitions. Yeah. Is there a moment on fuck art that you are particularly
3: proud of? Yeah, that song, that song, especially, and some of what I did in bike. Cause I don't really, I was like, Oh, how did I do that? Cause it, we kind of just jammed through that part. And sure. I was like, I remember doing that. So it's always me being like, now I have to learn this, Yeah. but, um, <laughs> but damage control and, and, uh, and ride or die are two of my, my biggest personal accomplishments. Cause, uh, I don't practice a lot to a metronome and I didn't in the past, but this, this is like something that's like, I have to like master this and get over it because I'm going to play the drums. I have to be good at keeping time and better at that. So this is the first record I was able to do entirely to a metronome. Cause we also had this firm belief. like so, you don't need a metronome, metronomes for losers. <laughs> like, music just flows. But then you realize it makes things, <laughs> it makes things gel together better. It helps you know where you are and, and, and lets it makes it easier for everybody else to record over you. Just like, yeah, I, I sat and like worked on, uh, I, we'd never done this before, but I was like, Luke, can you just record the guitars? Uh, to a, a, a click track for those two songs, because I had some some fills and ideas that I needed to work out, but I didn't want to just keep pounding it out a room with everybody. So yeah. like, can you just do that to a metronome so I can like get those parts tighter and also just like work on what it is I want to do. And that was like a huge help. And I think really helped me. Uh, just nail those parts down because Luke calls ride or die my drum odyssey. Oh, <laughs> that's great. So, so, and that's the only time I've ever had like a drum solo, I guess. So
4: as we are hopefully nearing the end of the pandemic, what are the upcoming plans for the band?
3: There's talk of summer festivals. There's talk of things like that, but no one really knows what the plan would be because there's word. There's a lot of concern for like backlog of shows and who's going to Playware, but I'm hoping that we can just get on like a a good supporting slot. And who knows? I feel like personally, people are going to be very excited to do anything in the real world. That's not just us inside our houses on the internet Mm -hmm. and people are just going to go to everything and anything they can as much as they can. So I know that I would like to just like do almost like a week's worth of shows if possible at like a small venue in our hometown and just have fun every night. I I feel like people would come every night. People would go any any day of the week. Oh, hell yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, Let's take a a week sabbatical and everyone do whatever they want for a week. (laughs) Sounds
1: like a great
2: great idea, man. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow. We should end with a Canadian question.
4: Oh, I've got one. Okay. Okay. What is your favorite canadian candy
3: see that's always tough because british candies and canadian candies are like very similar yeah (laughs) they are together but uh, i is wonder bar only canadian i can't remember i think it is i'm
2: i'm from canada i moved down here in 2000 in 2005 i lived in vancouver was the last city i lived in but before that it was toronto and then i was born in saskatchewan
3: oh okay yeah.
2: Awesome. So, yeah, so you've, yeah, you've I, yeah, I think Wonder Bar, Wonder Bar, I have not seen down here. In fact, I forgot I about did. that.
3: I always think about it when I'm in the states. I'm like, oh, they don't have it. So I think Wonder Bar, as far as Canadian specific candy goes,
4: wow, yeah. I've never had. Yeah, that it's now. really, now it's like,
3: really what? good. I'm trying to think. Is it
2: kind of like was it kind of Butterfinger esque?
3: Uh, sort of, except without like a crunch. It's like they it's peanut butter and caramel. Yeah in chocolate and just like kind of pulls apart it's like
2: was there like a thin top like a thin biscuit in there
3: somewhere too no no it's kind of mixed in it's like crunchy bits kind of mixed in. yes it's kind of like gelatinous middle right yeah i was experimenting recently with like freezing them or not oh interesting not as good frozen not but reese's uh reese's like peanut butter cups frozen
2: i've never tried i've never tried that eat more bars (laughs) or eat more bars do they have Eat More bars here? No. no.
3: I guess not. I haven't even thought about an Eat More bar forever. I don't know if I've seen one, but I guess I also haven't really been in a convenience store. Though. Yeah, in a like, long time.
2: Experience. Eat More bars. Uh, the, uh, also, one that I showed Lauren was
3: Aero Bar. Oh, yeah. Is that only us or is that they, us in, in the UK?
2: I think it's it's UK because you can go, that's where you can get it here. You got to go to like the British pubs and sometimes they'll have like Eat More, or, sorry, not Eat More, um, Aero Bars and Smarties.
4: Yeah, which are different than our smarties. Yeah, there
2: are smarties here, but smarties here are what we call
3: rockets in
2: Canada. You know, like those
3: tarts and yeah. Yeah, right. I forgot smarties are different here, and they changed too, which sucks. I remember when they went to like no artificial, there was a time where they changed from what they were when I was a kid, and then they're just not as good.
2: What? Like smarties? (laughs) Like the actual Canadian smarties changed? yeah wow see
4: i don't know any different i only know like the new version because i i remember seeing like that they use like i don't know like vegetables and fruits to dye
2: the smarties yeah well, my dad brought some right when he came yeah. visiting from lumsden saskatchewan and uh yeah brought we got him to bring smarties and
4: coffee crisps
2: coffee crisps Oh, oh yeah that's another one yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i keep telling, like there's a smarty song in canada that i, I grew up with that i know the words to and i'll sing it for lauren because she she's like what I, she's like i like, think it's so funny in america obviously like you can say the smarty song no one knows what the hell you're talking about and it's like the national anthem in canada or like a band like the tragically hip so many right. people don't even know who you're talking about you're like if you go to Canada and ask someone, say that you don't know the Tragically Hip, that'd be like saying you don't know who the Beatles are or who Metallica is, right? Yeah. Uh,
4: <laughs> but I, I don't know who they are. No, yeah, exactly. So this I'm going to look them up, though. I'm interested.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah you yeah. got to. It. It's part of Canadian yeah. history.
3: Yeah, you know who loves Tragically Hip is Laura Jane Grace from Against Me. Oh, wow. Did they yeah. have an opportunity to play with them? I don't think so. She, she was just like, yeah, I know who, I know who the Tragically Hip are. Kyle, man, thank you so much for
2: yes. being a part of this today. We really appreciate it. It's been a blast. Yeah,
3: thank you. Thank you guys for having me. That was
2: the Boot Crew Podcast, episode two twenty five. Special thanks to our guest Kyle Fisher. Follow him at Kyle Starchild Fisher and at the Dirty Nil on Instagram. At time of release. Check out their latest album, Fuck Art. Music for this one provided by the Dirty Nil. Production tracks from the Mighty Power Man five thousand. Till next time, it is a Boot Crew saying sweet screams.
1: Thanks for listening to another episode the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com Crew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand. And Leone D'Antonio The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand. Chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation. Part of the bloody disgusting podcast network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network home of the boo crew for centric interviews scp archives weekly full cast storytelling horror queers genre commentary from an lgtbq perspective and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepypastas listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgustingcom podcasts